Logocentrifical Podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logocentrifical. Hopefully that doesn't cross your eyes. Uh, while you're trying to uncross them, if it does, I want you to welcome my special guest, Doe, Hotep Dubes on Twitter. And Doe is a guy who, I'm not exactly sure how I first came across him, but what I immediately noticed is that Doe is a Doe's a dude who's out there trying to help people lift themselves up from where they are to where they want to be. And one of the first things I hooked onto was there was a criticism that was pointed his way. And instead of being dragged down to the same level as those who were criticizing him, he just kind of laughed about it and pointed out that he was doing something positive while they were just sort of, tossing tossing out insults and not getting anywhere with that and I and I love that kind of thing and he's a he's a dude who's just out there trying to help people and that's something I really connect with that's why this podcast is here and so I've been really looking forward to this podcast and with that Doe welcome to the Logo Centrifugal podcast I'm really glad to have you here and why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do you what's going on everybody and thank you for having me this man like this is like i said i told you in the dm that this is something that i actually had and i, I feel like i manifested because i saw the growth of your podcast and i saw just how people were resonating with it then i started listening to it then i seen a, a lot more people that i respect start gravitating towards towards it so it to me it felt like an accomplishment so i feel accomplished right now so <laughs> shout out to you um but for those who don't know, uh, my name is Doe Dubes, a.k.a. A.R. Morton, a.k.a. President Hotep Dubes, um, <laughs> a.k.a. Doe. Um, my, my endeavor is to make sure that you are building health and wealth at all times, every day of your life, to make sure that you don't die broke, to make sure that you live wealthy, to make sure that you live healthy and that you're not living like a punk broke bitch out here and we're we gonna get into it because it's a lot of information that people need to understand. It's a lot of information that people may get misconstrued about me and my message. So I'm super excited to be here. Um let's get into it, man. I, I'm I'm let's get let's just get right into it. Let's go. Yeah, okay. So like you talked about you talked about wanting people to be able to understand what it means to be wealthy. And I wonder why don't you lay out for us what it is you mean by wealth. I mean, there's money, but having money is not necessarily being wealthy. So maybe you could start with, what do you mean by helping people to become healthy and wealthy? Well, first people have to understand that wealth has little to do with money. Wealth has everything to do with abundance. And what people fail to realize about wealth is that you can't have wealth without thinking abundantly. And my first endeavor or the first thing that I tell people is to always shift your mindset. Think of things in a more abundant way. So when you are looking at your finances or looking at your life or obstacles in your life, you're thinking, damn, you know, why do I have so many problems? Or damn, if I have more money, damn, all of these bills are accumulating. You're thinking in scarcity. You're not thinking in abundance. But if you look at these same situations and say, I know I can get it done or look at the situation and say, how can I get it done? Or you look at these situations and approach it in a more solution-based uh, uh, methods, 
you'll be able to see not only the solution, but ways to profit from it as well. So one of the things that I saw in my life is that I was spending, well, I wasn't having as much money as I wanted at the end of the month, despite me working super duper hard, at least what I thought. So I started tracking my spending and a lot of my spending went towards food. And then when I looked down in my gut, <laughs> I saw that I was eating all of my money, literally eating all of my money. So I cut back. That was the first thing that I did. I know a lot of people hate that, but I cut back to be more abundant. And I know it's, it seems counterintuitive, but walk with me. When you cut back, you're usually cutting back on things that you don't need. And then when you cut back on the things you don't need, you start accumulating things that you do need, which is the money, which is the, uh, the health that you need to stop eating and all of those other things. And then you use those same tools to pay off your debts, to start accumulating assets, to start a workout regimen. All of these things are um, rooted in the abundant mindset because you know there's more to it. You know there's more than enough. You know that you can always accumulate more and it's not done in a way that is detrimental to you. Because some people, they spend money thinking, oh, I'll just get it again. Or they'll skip gym day thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's just Monday, I'll go tomorrow. And they think that in that way, but it's still countering, it's, it's not helping them because it's taken away from their health, it's taken away from their wealth. So when you shift your mindset from scarcity to abundance, that's when you'll start walking into your wealth. That's when you'll start creating a path towards wealth and you'll, you'll stop sabotaging yourself. You'll stop robbing yourself. You'll stop stealing from yourself and in, in, in all of the ways that you've been before. So that's where wealth is. Wealth is abundance. It's not money, it's, it's abundance. Okay, so that's, that's an important point. I mean, you know, I often, I often talk to people who are, are driven solely by, by money and I, I try to offer a word of caution and I say, look, man, money isn't the adventure money's to fund the adventure you know this is a life where you're supposed to you're supposed to look for things that enhance your enjoyment and your satisfaction you're supposed to take on responsibilities and then fulfill those responsibilities because then you build self-worth and then you open new doors because when someone sees that you can handle this responsibility and that you did it well they want to bring you onto their team and have you help them fulfill a responsibility that they need met and I wonder, you talked about um, sort of beginning the process of stopping cheating yourself, stop robbing yourself. And what are maybe some of the first steps that a person could take to begin that shift from scarcity to abundance? What are, what are some of the, the big um, pressure points that they could begin to really make that shift? Where, where's, where do they start? Take stock. Take inventory of your life. Honestly, just look around you. Look at your house. Look at the things that you've accumulated, good or bad. It doesn't matter. Just take all inventory and all stock of the life that you've accumulated so far. And you'll see that it's an accumulation of the, all of the decisions that you made throughout your life. A lot of them, if, if you're the average person, a lot of them are good. You know what I'm saying? They're not all bad, but some of them are bad. So what you'll do is you'll start to look at all of the bad habits that you that you've accumulated over time and then you'll see okay the overeating the you know um not getting enough rest not being uh gracious not being you know uh having gratitude about life like waking up 
oh, it's Monday. Oh, I got to go to work. And, and you know, not uh, appreciating what you have. That is, that is really where you want to change. You want to start appreciating the small things. Wake up grateful. Thank you for this day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill it today. I'm going to have a great day. You start speaking these things into your life. And a lot of people, they, th they tend to um, put these in, on the side of cliches and all of that. But what they don't understand is that the reason why it's cliches they could because they don't take heed to it. The people who actually live fulfilling lives, the people who actually live abundant lives, they do these things. And it's not cliche to them. It's not corny to them. They actually enjoy participating in these types of affirmations, these types of uh, high, uh, what do they say, high uh, ROI activities to where you're waking up every morning with a, a, a sense of purpose where you, all right, let me bust out 100 push-ups. Let me say thank you for this day. Let me have a hearty uh, breakfast or skip breakfast, which, you know, whichever one is better for, for your lifestyle at that point. And you make sure that you, you attack the day every day individually as I'm going to conquer it. You have to conquer your mind first. All of these things, I don't care what it is, whether it's wealth building, health building, uh, uh, relationships, whatever, everything starts in your mind. And all of the things that you want to manifest in your life and, and are manifesting in your life comes from the mind. So, again, start your day with gratitude. Do something that's actually going to mean something at the end of the day. Help somebody else. Help yourself. Change all of those bad habits, the overspending, the overeating, the discouraging words that you say to yourself. I hate this. I don't want to do that. I'm hurt here. Uh, you know, and all of these other complaints that you, a lot of people do subconsciously. You start, you know, just nixing all of those things out of your vocabulary, nixing all of those things out of your lifestyle. You'll start to gravitate and attract more things that give you things to be uh, more, gra uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Gratified or, not gratified. Uh, damn, what's the word I'm looking for, Lance? To be more, uh, to have more gratitude for, let's just say that. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to uh, live a more in fulfilling life when you start looking and seeking for things that actually bring fulfillment and not looking at the things that you don't want. A lot of people focus on what they don't want more than what they do want. And even when they do think about what they want, they only think of it in a way that is out of reach. They don't think about it like they have it now. That's what I did. <laughs> Before uh, I even got to the bowling status, status and all of that, I already visioned myself having it. I already said that I was going to have it. And I said that I was going to have it when I had it. So it was like when I was grinding and when I was hustling and all of that, I, I, I lived my life as if I had it. I thought every morning that I had that million dollars, that I had all of this other stuff. And that's what kept me going. And a lot of people, they have to conquer their mind to start this stuff and just be more, you know what I'm saying? Just be more appreciative of the life that you live. Yeah, you know, a lot of what you just talked about is it hits very close to home for me. For example, I have this thing that I say every morning. The second that I stand up out of my bed, I say, hello, world. It's an honor and a pleasure to be in you because, you know, <clears throat> maybe I wake up, maybe I don't feel that good or, or maybe, uh, maybe I have an inclination that day to, to act like a bitch or be grumpy or something. But as soon as I stand up, I put my feet on the ground and I say, hello, world. It's an honor and a pleasure to be in you. I remind myself. It's, it's so incredible, the fact that everything that ever existed led up to me being here. And I have this life that's so unlikely when you consider 
you know, this, this planet's the only place we know about that has life and, and I'm on it. And so many people didn't have the opportunities that I have. And so many people are not alive and, and everything that led up to me, it's, it's just amazing when you really sit down and think about it, that you ever had a life to have it all. And, you know, it's easy to get distracted and, or to get discouraged because something happens in your life that you weren't expecting or that you didn't want to happen. And you, you latch onto that and you think about all the things that could have been or that didn't happen. And, but when you, when you refresh yourself and you just remind yourself this, this is an honor to be here. This is a pleasure to be here. You know, nobody, I didn't have to have this life. I'm fortunate to have it. It just reframes stuff. And I have, I have a list of declarations and it's, it's these statements that I created for myself to remind myself of who I want to be. For example, one of them is if it comes from me, it comes from the heart. And I, you know, I want to make sure that when I'm, when I'm putting myself out there, that I'm not faking the funk, that I'm not being dishonest or, or disingenuous because I want people to know that when I say something to them and I, and I'm saying it in a way that's not just a joke, cause I joke around a lot too, but if I'm really trying to connect to them, what I'm saying really comes from my desire for them to, to have more. And he also talked about visualization and that's, that's been a critical tool in my life. And I, I I want to be, I want to make something clear about that too. You talked about manifestation and vision and a lot of people got railroaded on that concept when they read the secret and they thought, you know, if I just envision a boat pretty soon, I'm going to have a boat in my driveway. And it's like, dude, you don't even have a driveway. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You have to, you have to envision it. You have to choose what you want, but then you have to go for it. You can't just sit around thinking about things. And, and, and hope for the best, you have to say, this is, this is what I see in my mind. And then you have to envision the steps to get there. And then you have to take them. It's, you know, things that you envision really do happen. You really can manifest anything that you want almost into your life, but you can't manifest it just by sitting around thinking about it. You got to do things and hold on to your vision and believe in it with, with faith and with determination and with work. And I wonder kind of springing from there, we've talked about, okay, this is kind of the definition of wealth is, is putting yourself in an abundant place where you know, you're going to be there. It's already happened. You're just catching up time and space with the inevitability of what you're going to do. And you envision it and you believe in it. And where, like, what do you do? What do you tell somebody when they say, well, you know, I have this thing and I really think I could do it, but I keep running into this this obstacle or this roadblock what are some of the tools that you suggest to get their head straight and to get past those obstacles and to keep on the path well understand that it all has time you all all of this stuff takes time a lot of people get ahead of themselves and a lot of people put the cart before the horse and then in their uh wealth building journeys they don't set a solid foundation so what I've noticed is that the more confident in you are, you are in your foundation, the more endurance that you have when you have a downtime or when obstacles come. What happens is when people don't have solid legs and solid pillars on their, on their, um, on their buildings, those small things tend to topple the entire organization or the entire infrastructure, what they got going on. So if you are having a hard time, make sure that you, you are, adding more cement to your, your foundation. So a perfect example, um, yesterday, it was bad for the market, right? It was a, a huge, you know, it was a drop, you know, thousands of points. And 
I'm pretty sure the average retail investor was very panicky. They were, you know, worried about the China deals and all of that. However, if you were the savvy investor or the, the investor with, you know, uh, an abundant mindset, you would understand that this would be the perfect time to actually double down and buy more of the shares that you have in the companies that went down because you basically got a clearance sale. Especially if you look at the historical data of these companies, you know it's not going to stay down. So you would, instead of panicking and thinking that this is an obstacle, you can actually turn that into an opportunity. Me, uh, I have, I'm, I'm absolutely invested into the market, the SP 500, NASDAQ, and all of that other stuff. So because <clears throat> I wanted to, you know, profit off the downturn, I bet against the market yesterday and came up pretty good. You understand? I didn't use those red numbers as a reason why I shouldn't keep going and building wealth that day. I actually use that opportunity to build more wealth as opposed to the, I guess the average person or whatever. And that's what people should, you know, uh, you know, take from that. Look at your obstacles. Is there a way you can profit from it? Is it a way that you can actually win from it? Even though, it, you know, it came, it came in a way of, of negativity. Can you spin it? So that's what I would do. I would actually look at the obstacle for what it is, see what you can learn from it, see how you can benefit from it. And at the end of the day, if you can profit from it, that's even better. Yeah, man. One of the main things that I try to teach people is, is how a mistake is actually a gift. Because what I, what I often say is a mistake is a lesson that your life is trying to teach you. And the longer the, and it will keep trying to teach it to you over and over again. And every time that you fail to learn the lesson, the next teacher is going to be harsher and more intense. And you will eventually get to a point where you either learn the lesson or you die. And that's maybe not true of something very minuscule. Like if you, if you don't, you know, say shave in a way that's going to add value to your life. Like maybe you have a job where you need to shave and if you come in scruffy, people look at you weird. Well, that's probably not going to kill you. But if you don't eat right or you don't take care of your money or you don't take care of your relationships, eventually that literally will end your life. And so I always try to, when I'm working with people or when I'm looking at my own life, I always try to frame a mistake as just a lesson. And the sooner that you can learn that lesson, the sooner that you can pull something of value out of your mistake, the sooner that you can leave behind the guilt, you can leave behind the blame, you can leave behind the resentment and move forward from that into something that's better because now you have the information that you needed. You have the tools that you needed. You have the understanding that you needed that you didn't have to not make that mistake again and to move into a new paradigm where you um, face a new set of obstacles and a new set of challenges and you become more capable. So, I guess yeah, what I'm because saying. you use those same tools that you learned into your newest yes. endeavors. So if you come up against that beast again, you'll know exactly how to slay it in a more effective way in a shorter time frame with much less damage. So I, you know, absolutely. And um, one of the things that I've I've been adopting is the the saying that is you either win or you learn. You don't really lose out here. If you you actually take um, what you can change out of your losses you don't really lose because i mean at the end of the day it's going to come up again usually and then that you know when it comes up you'll know how to handle it more effectively and again you can win from it this time maybe you handled a dispute 
that you had with a friend or, or a spouse or something like that one time and you totally flew off the handle or something like that. And you learned from your, from your mistake and you learned from what happened. The next time that happens, you can actually have a dialogue where not only nobody is flying off the handle, but you guys reach a new breakthrough in your relationship, whether it be friendship, whether it be romantic, whether it be business, whatever it is, you'll be able to keep excelling if you learn from your past mistakes and learn from those past, um, um, those shortcomings and those obstacles. So for sure, man, definitely don't, don't, don't ignore them, but just don't, don't dwell on them in, in, in a way that you're going to be demoralized and discouraged. Hell yeah, man. Look, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe talk a little bit about my past and, and tie it into and tie it into an opportunity for you to kind of relate where you come from and, 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 and give some, give some information about how, how you can, you can use your past to your advantage. And so, you know, when I was, when I was in my late teens and, and moving into adulthood, I was, I was just honestly a monster. I mean, I was sad and angry and I was doing every drug under the sun and I was, you know, people talk about thug life, but they don't really understand what that means. It means you're hurting people. It means you're stealing. It means you're violent. It means that you're um, a force of destruction. And that was who I was. You know, I was hurting people. I was hurting myself. I was stealing. I was doing drugs. I was hanging out with people who didn't give a shit about anything including themselves and just were only for whatever might make them feel good in the moment. And along that way, I saw a lot of people end their lives, whether from suicide or overdose. I saw some people get murdered because drug deals went bad or they robbed the wrong person. And, you know, I used to call those people my friends and now I look back on it and we were just people who were fools together and, that kind of lifestyle is often glorified by people who can't see their way out of that lifestyle. And I know that a lot of people, especially people, let's, let's say from my neck of the woods, because I live in a suburban area. I live in Utah where, you know, most people are Mormon and most people live in a neighborhood and go to church and don't ever really experience that kind of life. And here I was, um, just so far out on the fringe and, and living in shitty places and hanging out with monsters and being a monster. And, and then at a certain point, you know, everybody started dying or going to prison around me and I wasn't doing anything differently than them. I'd overdosed on drugs. I'd run into the law a bunch of times. I'd, you know, and then at a certain point I decided I wanted to change and there was a lot of work I had to do, but you know, I know that you don't come from a, just like a hunky dory background where everything was easy for you and all the stuff that you needed to be successful was just laid out right in front of you. And there was no challenge or struggle besides just making sure you followed the instructions. And so I, I, I want to get into that and maybe help people understand that what you're talking about didn't come out of nowhere. It's not like you learned these things from a vacuum or that you didn't have to overcome stuff and that there's people, there's so many people out there who, can't see their way out of hard times or can't see their way out of the hood or can't see their way out of um, being somebody they don't want to be. And, and maybe what, what it was that got you to shift your mindset a little bit and, and what you might say to other people to, 
to get them to shift from making excuses and blaming to taking responsibility and doing what it takes to make their lives into something they want it to be. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, as far as my background, like, it's it's pretty stereotypical, man. Like, it, when I was doing, um, uh, like, a little inventory of my, just my background and how it matched up to the statistics, you know what I'm saying? Like, me, single parent, household, you know, all of this other stuff. I moved around my entire life. Like, I never really, I never, like, had my own crib for real. You know what I'm saying? I was living in people's basements and, you know, all of this stuff. Like, it was it was wild. And it's like, um, you know, I didn't graduate from high school. My freshman year of high school, I only went to school 30 days out of the entire year. Um, and then every year after that, like, <laughs> totally rigged the system. Like, I had um, switched the phone number to my mom's contact number to my cell phone number. So I was intercepting all of the calls. Um, I redirected our address to, since we moved a lot, you know, I just gave an old address or whatever. So all the report cards didn't come to my new crib. Um, like as I got, I mean, I was, you know, selling drugs and all that, that was just recreational. Like, that's just what you did. Um, I did that more than anything, you know what I'm saying? And then, um, through that though, one of the things that, that stuck out was my entrepreneurial spirit. So like, I always had like a sales type of gig when i was 13 i worked for my og my one of my first ogs heavy he was a, a drug dealer in providence back in the day and um he opened up a clothing store around the corner from my grandmom crib and um you know he was like one of the neighborhood favorites or whatever and i always liked his store like his store was um the first spot i ever seen with a plasma screen tv in it it was crazy and he always had like fly chicks around and a bunch of dudes who got like nice cars and everybody had money around them and all of that. So I always wanted to be around there. And that's just middle school age. I was 13. Like I was cutting school ever since like sixth grade. When I got kicked out um, of school for defending my homie, I beat this dude up that was bullying him. And, and then it came out that um him and dude was quote unquote playing or whatever. And they both snitched on me and I got in trouble and they kicked, they expelled me the first day of sixth grade. And then, um, so, Ever since then, I was just like, whatever, I like being outside anyway. So I was, I used to go to the store. As soon as it opened, he would open the gate, and I'd be right behind him. He'd be like, yo, get the hell out of here, and all of that. And I'd be like, nah, yo, I'm, I want to be here. And, you know, I would, um, whenever he would get a shipment of white tees, like, this is the era where, like, tall white tees was the thing. So whenever he got a shipment of tall white tees, I would um bring the boxes in and start folding them. He's like, yo, get the hell off my, like, you stop touching my clothes, all of this stuff. <laughs> You know, stop touching my stuff. Like, you got to go to school, go home. I'm like, no, I'm here. Like, this is what I want to do. And after a while, I, I started providing, you know, this is before Twitter and all that, but I was providing so much value at a young age that he couldn't front on me no more. Like, yo, son is not going to go to school. He, You know what I'm saying? He, he going to do this instead of, I'd rather him being here than in the street anyway. So, boom. Now, this is my a full-time gig. So, by the time, this is 13. So, by the time I get to ninth grade, I'm already working in there for like eight, nine months now, and I'm good with the clientele. I got my own, like I get a commission and all of this other stuff. So that's the reason why I wasn't at school. And then I was in the street at the same time. So these, this is my thing. So I moved from there. Um, and then like a year later, no, excuse me, before, before I moved, I was opening and closing that store by the time I was 15 years old. Like he gave me a key to the store because I was around the corner. So <laughs> my 10th grade year, while everybody was going to school, I was a store manager. 
in my in the local business. It was like I wasn't working for Dunkin' Donuts or Dollar Tree. Like I was working for a small black owned business. You know what I'm saying? And I was making thousands of dollars a week on top of selling drugs. So um they had these things where it's like a no child left behind situation when I was in school. And so this is like two thousand, you know, fast forward to two thousand and seven. Um, they was like, yo, listen, your son don't come to school and but he's smart. You know, it was, it was that same type of spiel. Like when he does come, he passes all his tests and all of that. He just don't come. And that's why we failing him and all of that. So they was like, yo, if he takes this one test, well, he'll be able to graduate with his friends. And because of my background and because of my financial situation at home, um, I just, you know, we had to move again. So I moved um, to North Carolina. And then um, we started, you know, I started uh, just that time, like, because I was so, I guess the culture shock, I wasn't able to adjust the way I wanted to. And it just just went downhill from there, man. Like, I just started feeling bad for myself. Um, I just became more and more of a, like a hermit, man. Like, I just didn't want to do much. I had real low, low self-esteem. Um, I started gaining mad weight like even more weight because I was super fat my entire life but I just started gaining more weight and then um just just making worse and worse decisions um because of my grades they didn't transfer from up north to down south so on paper I I was only I only had a ninth grade education (laughs) no 10th grade education um despite you know all of the stuff that I was accomplishing um and you know it was just bad man and I just started making like super bad decisions and um I picked up like a cigarette habit and all of this stuff. It was just bad. And um, what changed for me was, you know, I had a daughter, my daughter when I was 19 and the, the relationships that I was having, you know, it was just, it was just, it was just bad. It was toxic. It wasn't, you know, the best for me or her. So, you know, I just got right, man. I had to just, you know, separate myself from all of that, you know, all of the, the toxic stuff that I was getting into you know, I was drinking beer. I was buying beer like ten in the morning, man, with spare change. Like it, it was, it was bad, man. Like I was down bad. Like I wasn't getting haircuts. You know, like my mom was paying for like my cigarette habit, and all. it was just nuts, man. And um, so and oh, not even that. I was donating fucking plasma, man. Like, <laughs> like I was donating plasma, dog. Like it was, it was super bad. So, um, I just had to, I had to you know, just look myself in the mirror, man. I had to get myself straight. And, um, you know, I moved on. I started, you know, taking myself more seriously. I started getting in tune with my man, Courtney. And um, through this, like through this entire time when I was in North Carolina, like if that was one of the first friendships that I made with my man, um, Rashad and his older brother, Courtney. And um, they had a clothing line and, you know, we started just brainstorming together and then we started, you know, started businesses together. And then I started designing new era fitteds for um, fitted shops because at the time it was like, I just tweeted about this too. Like at the time it was super difficult to get a direct account with new era. You needed you needed to have your own store. You needed to have at least, uh, you know, like $10,000 in revenue every month. Like it was, it's a whole bunch of requirements. So I had the software, of course, Photoshop. And then I had the uh, blueprints and the templates for the new era caps. So while Courtney was doing the clothing thing, like doing the t-shirts and all of that, I was selling my designs to fitted shops. And like, I literally have like hundreds of new era designs out there. <laughs> and um, it, it, it was dope. So that was like, that's what, it, that's what started it. And then just being able to keep compounding on that, 
was was my biggest thing. And um, it was definitely some down times. Like the whole time, Courtney was pretty much fronting the bill. I wasn't really bringing in no bread like that um, because I, I was only making like $25 per design. And, you know, all of my money was going to, you know, beer and, and just doing stupid stuff. Like it wasn't like I was still handling money like a G, like I wasn't. I was still wasting money. I was still, you know, just being irresponsible with my lifestyle. So, you know, life was still hitting me like a ton of bricks, despite whatever successes I may have been realizing at the time. And um, moving on from there, I moved to Philly and and just started, you know, based upon the relationship that I had with my now wife, started just going crazy, man. I came out here, you know, it was different from the South. I was able to hop on the subway and get from spot to spot, make more moves. I came out here, got a job, you know, almost immediately. Like, again, through the health of my wife, she's been, you know, a gem throughout this entire endeavor. And I started, um, my journey started at a um, a local grocer called Mom's. They was out there in Br uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. They actually um, opened up in the 80s in Maryland. That's where they're actually from, the headquarters or whatever. But they had a branch uh, or um, a store out in Bryn Mawr. And it's around the corner from a Ferrari dealership, the first Ferrari dealership I ever seen up close. And um, I started working there and um, as a stock dude. And um, I started learning more about like bok choy and like a whole bunch of like healthy foods and all of that stuff. And I was bringing that stuff home. My wife was, um, you know, real health conscious and, and, and getting in tune with what was good and bad for your body. So at the same time that I'm earning money, I'm learning about plant-based, you know, uh, lifestyles and things of that nature. And through that education, through the money and the discount that I was getting from the store, of course, I was able, uh, we were able to start introducing more healthier uh, foods into the house, which turned into now us being plant-based for like five years now. So it's like, that was real important too, that, you know, we changed our, our diet and the things that we put into our bodies because that dictates so much when it comes to your life. It is so important to make sure that you put in high vibrating foods, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, like real food into your into your body. You need to be eating real food. Um, Dr. Sabi, rest in peace, he calls it electric foods. You need to have live foods, you know, things that actually grow out of the ground. Uh, and I understand that in certain diets that meat, I don't eat meat, but certain in diets meat is important. But make sure you get in the best meat if you're going to eat meat. You feel me? Make sure that these these animals are <laughs> free of all of the antibiotics and all the other stuff that come along with eating that type of food. You understand? But And it goes the same thing with fruits and vegetables, too. There's a whole bunch of herbicides and pesticides that's all over the produce, too. It's not just because that's a, a plant that is safe. You got to make sure all of this stuff is clean and good for your body. But so, yeah, that, you know, that started that. We eliminated one animal at a time. Um, when I moved out here, it was no pork anyway. I didn't eat, uh, she didn't eat pork. And it was nothing for me to um, not eat pork. Then it was uh, beef. Then it was chicken. Then it was turkey. And then finally fish. Um, and then I started uh, looking. Uh, this, this turns into, like, you know, the next phase of my life where, uh, like the Black Lives Matter, Trayvon Martin, 2013-2014, um, things started happening. And this is where you start to see the growth of the do-dudes that you see today. Where, and I hope I'm not, you know, going ahead of the, the conversation, but... Um, Keep it running, dude. This is good. For sure. Um, 
Trayvon Martin was murdered by a George Zimmerman. And um, the way that it was uh, publicized and the way that it was put on, on the media was for all of us to, and I'm going to use it explicitly, for us to enjoy. It was for us to ingest, be outraged by people on George Zimmerman's side, to be uh, in, in jubilation, to be happy that he uh, stood his ground and all of this other stuff to cause a divide. This is something similar to the OJ case in a lot of aspects when it comes to the human emotion, the human mind, and the way the media plays on it. My community um, was deeply affected by this because my community watches TV 1.2 times more than, than the entire population. So because my community is, is on screens more than anybody else, we're more affected by it. When they saw this, they reacted heavily. What happened after that was, of course, the Michael Brown situation. Again, another uh, two-sided situation where one side feels strongly uh, that he was a brute and he deserved it. And another side uh, felt like that he was brutally murdered for no reason. Again, causing huge tension, whether uh, among race lines, uh, uh, income lines, uh, political lines, you name it. To cause that divide is to cause great ratings for television. And again, my community watches the most of it. And this is not just television. This is phones. This is games. This is you name it. All types of mo uh, multimedia, Black Americans ingested more than any other community. My community was demoralized um, financially just a few years uh, prior with the housing uh, crisis, where 50 percent uh, reportedly of a black American wealth was wiped out because of the predatory loans, subprime loans and things of that nature. So now we, we're coming off the heels of, of a financial, uh, you can call it an attack, you can call it you know, predatory, you can call it whatever you want. The, the truth of the matter is that it happened. Uh, you can even call it you know, poor fi uh, financial literacy, whatever you want to do, but it, whatever you want to call it, it happened. So not only that happened financially, then we have this going on politically and emotionally. So now it's, um, Black, Black Lives Matter comes onto the scene. You got DeRay and Netta and all of these people parading around, getting people riled up. And you get uh, a fraud king or Sean King, however you want to uh, refer to him. He's, <laughs> you know, he's putting trauma porn on the timeline 24-7. And then now these people are being paid for it. Now these people are being backed by the George Soros and open societies of the world. And they're being backed by multi, you know, uh, uh, you know, multinational conglomerates where you have people like Beyonce. I remember, I'll never forget the day that um, DeRay screenshotted Beyonce following him on Twitter. And if anybody knows anything about social currency and human capital, to be co-signed by Beyonce knows is literally to get the golden ticket to anything. You can literally do no wrong. The day that Beyonce shouts your name out is the day that you're pretty much good out here. And anybody who's ever been in, uh, an inch uh, away from Beyonce can attest to that. Uh, shout out to Ravy B, who um, got the photo gig for uh, her on the tour. For the, I think it was on the, on the run. She's a photographer. She spoke that like she wanted to shoot um, Beyonce. And everybody knows what I mean by that. <laughs> um, and she wanted to actually take pictures of her and, and you know, God bless her, she got that opportunity and now she's a literal world famous photographer. So this is the, the type of cosign that you get when, you, when you're, you're in this sphere of social justice in black America. And now my entire community who was now focused, who, who wasn't anti-capitalism, who wasn't, you know, they understood that there absolutely is uh, prejudice, there's absolutely discrimination, racism that goes on. But because now it's being 
hyper consumed on a daily basis where now news outlets can they can access this is public record they can access police cam videos all day long and find hundreds of situations where police gun down a black person armed unarmed innocent not innocent whatever it's trauma porn so now people are ingesting this stuff all day long and now everybody's de demoralized everybody's discouraged everybody's oppressed everybody now now the new the new popping the new thing is to be the most oppressed now we have to include oh i not only am i black i'm black gay i have 10 i have nine toes instead of 10 i also <laughs> came up in this way now we are dissecting so many parts of ourselves and creating an identity around it because that's the new social currency that's the new thing that's popping being oppressed is the like the really the it of the summer now and it happened for so long that people now when you're faced with literal open opportunity like you could literally do anything you want now in an era where your ancestors would have killed they literally killed for this they died for this part for you because when i'm looking at my children i'm like yo i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be slain for this because i'm in the 21st century but if i had to be slain to build wealth to make sure my children had it better absolutely this is what i would die for i would stand on this you understand so they 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 went through all of this so you can literally have google in your pocket a computer in your pocket to build wealth and you can you can have access to this at any time that you want and you choose not to you actually choose to mimic or try to compare your struggles with this to try to resonate and it's insane because nobody will want that nobody will want their L's or their shortcomings be the thing that should be uh, lauded or be be promoted as far as somebody's legacy. You know what I'm saying? That's not what we're here for. We're here to show that, yo, through all of this garbage, through being broke, through getting uh, a GED, and through uh, not uh, going to the best prestigious schools or coming from these, these uh, bottom of the barrel communities, despite all of this stuff, you can make it. Why would they do all of this just so you can cling on to the fact that, nah, I'm black, Nah, I'm oppressed. Nah, I'm broke. Nah, I can't do it. No, that's not what they did all of this for. Because if that was the case, they could have just stayed in bondage. If we was going to use all of them being in bondage to, to, to mentally stay in bondage today, it was no sense for them to even break free. It was no sense for them to even break through all of these barriers that they had to go through. I am so happy that I don't have to buy my, uh, my shares uh, in, in these companies that I buy through mail order or through a way that I can't show my identity because that's how my ancestors had to invest. My ancestors had to invest anonymously to build wealth. Because if you walked into those buildings, you, you was a dove. So now I'm glad that I can invest on my phone. I'm gonna take full advantage of that. I'm gonna take a full advantage of when the market goes down and I can bet against it and make money. I can take full advantage of when the market is prospering and I can bet uh, with the market and do all of these things. And I can teach uh, the youth older people, my peers, whoever to make it happen. And so through this time, everybody got oppressed. And um, I started teaching against it and I started, um, well, no, let me, let me be honest. At first I was swept up in it too. At first I was super swept up into it. I was, I, I thought DeRay was the dude, his, you know, his Abby at the time was super serious. And then I heard him speak and I was like, oh snap, <laughs> he's not tough at all. But at that time, you know, I was fully social justice, man. I'm like, yeah, man, the white man did this, he did that. We oppressed, all of that. I was with it. 
And then my natural instinct to solve problems kicked in. So I started looking at solutions. I started, you know, looking online, literally just naturally looking online. Yo, how do we fix this, yo? Like, what, what, like what, how can we really, how can, how can we win? I was tired of feeling like a loser. So I was like, yo, how can we win? So I started getting in tune with people like Dr. Claude Anderson. Dr. Claude Anderson is a, a black older gentleman. I want to call him an um, economist, um, but he's an author of a book called Powernomics. Powernomics speaks on the buying power and the economics of black America and all of the things that happen, good, bad, and, and, and different. And he um, had several speeches where he spoke on how black Americans need to, you know, re redo everything when it comes to the, the financial and the business and the economic scape of, of, of black America. And he gave so many specific, you know, uh, ideas, you know, manufacturing, you know, all of these abandoned factories that you see, you know, despite whatever the uh, national um, consensus is, you can turn these factories even in the 21st century uh, way and, and start creating jobs in your own community. When you look at cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, the New York City boroughs, Miami, um, you know, New Orleans, Houston, you know, all of these places, these are the places that most black Americans live. It's, 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 uh, well, most black Americans live in the South, but as far as these inner cities and these, these, these capitals, these are where the black Americans are living and you can take advantage of these things. So that's what he was talking about. Then I got in tune uh, with Ali Hotep. And Ali, he was, he was on another level at this time for me. Like he was just speaking on so many things. Like at this time he was burning Nikes and, you know, telling me about Hotep and, and the history of Black America. And, and that's where the whole We Was Kings came from. Like, people don't understand that the whole meme came from, like, Hotep. That's Hotep. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's funny. And because we strong-willed people, we laughed at it. You understand? But I got in tune with Hotep, and they started telling me more about my history. And like, yo, dog, like, it's not just slavery here. You understand? Like, it's not just royalty either. It was, it was inventors. There was scholars. There was nurses and doctors. There was inventors. It wasn't. It wasn't just uh, kings and queens, and it wasn't just slaves either. There's a whole bunch of stuff in between that you should be proud of that you should get in tune with. And I started learning, you know, about Samuel B. Fuller, and and of course we all knew about Madam C. J. Walker, but did anybody know about Annie Malone, who was who basically is her OG, who taught her everything, who was literally, who was actually, I mean, the first black uh, millionaire in America, actually the first millionaire in America, as far as like self-made. Annie Malone, look her up. You understand? I started learning about all of these Black Americans who was building wealth in a time where you, I thought it was impossible at, at one point. And then I started teaching this thing, or not teaching it, but I started sharing it with my peers. And because of the demoralization, because of how hot it was to be oppressed, because you have slogans like hands up, don't shoot, I can't breathe, my Black life matters, and all of this stuff, whose streets, our streets, and that you can you know, uh, everybody loves a good get together. So now you and hundreds of your, your like-minded friends can walk up and down streets and, and do all of these things. So I'm telling them, yo, I was telling people to buy, you know, quote unquote, buy Black Day Block in 2015. Like it wasn't, you know, I didn't make it a slogan, but it was things that I was telling people a long time ago. And I've never been one of those people, you know what I'm saying, who gets mad that people get caught on. I'm just going to get caught on late. I'm just going to let you know, like, yo, hotel has been told you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But when I was trying to share that information back then, people wasn't trying to hear it. So I put it in a book. 
I was like, listen, I'm not going to keep going back and forth with y'all. I'm going to compile all of this data and put it in a book for y'all. And that's where my first book, Black America Inc., A Trillion Dollar Nation, A Trillion Dollar Nation came from. And I was, you know, I dropped that. And then that's when I was just full force. Nobody can tell me nothing about being oppressed. None of that. Like I was from then on, I was like, yo, listen, only things I'm going to be consuming is if I'm going to be consuming a problem, I want to immediately be able to consume information that's going to be able to solve it. And if it's not any of that, I'm going to dub it because it's not important. And I'm going to keep telling you that there's no excuse why you cannot build wealth. There's no excuse why you cannot build health. There's no excuse why you cannot clean up your community. There's no excuse as to why you can't own and control the infrastructure that is your neighborhood, that is your community, because literally everybody else is doing it. And the only other people that are not doing it are people that are that may not look like you racially, but they're in the same economic positions as you. I'm looking at you, rural America. We all know that group economics is the way it works with these communities. And I look at Black America and white America is at least on the on the, the economic levels when they're when they're matched up the same way. When I go to the trailer parks and when I go to rural America, it's the same consumption problems. It's the same spending problems. It's the same mental problems. It's the same marital uh, marital problems. It's the same lack of ownership. It's the same lack of control. It's the same lack of jobs because the factories who did own them, they left and outsourced all of the jobs. It's the same thing. Now, of course, you're going to have different cultures and, and different things that's going to um, separate you guys or differentiate you guys. But economically, there's no difference as far as the people that I come in contact with. And I'm not talking about the, the, the rich white dude or, uh, versus the poor white dude. I am talking about the, the poor white dude and, and you compare it to the poor black dude. I'm telling you, those same activities, those same demoralized, those same low self-esteem, those same low confidence uh, problems persist in both communities and they manifest in some of the same ways. And the only reason why it, it, it looks a little bit different is because of culture. Like I always say, in the hood is Red Bull, and the trailer parks is, is monster, you know what I'm saying? And instead of uh, buying, you know, a Cadillac with rims or, or, or a Dodge with rims, you get a monster truck or a pickup truck with all of the fixings in it. It's the same thing. Both of you don't own property. Both of you don't have any assets, but you would rather put pride in your vehicle. You would rather put pride in having a whole bunch of women. You would rather put pride in having a whole bunch of sex or eating a whole bunch of food, whatever it is, it's just hyper consumption to replace the fact that you are not building wealth and health in a real way. It's the same thing. And when people start realizing, I mean, this is the, like, this is the type of message that Martin Luther King got killed over because he understood that, yo, economically, yo, if poor people started to really get financially literate and really start demanding the type of things that these affluent com uh, communities get, it'd, it'd actually be a problem for, I guess, the quote unquote establishment. I don't, I'm not in it for that. You know, everybody wants to disrupt the system and all of that other stuff. If you want to do that for sure, I'm, I'm hey, do your thing. I'm here to make sure that people are, are building wealth for, their, for themselves and their families so that they don't have to live in financial insecurity. They don't have to worry about, you know, where their next meal is going to come from. They're not going to worry about, you know, living pay to, paycheck to paycheck. You know, all of that stuff is, can be fixed without having to topple the system. All you have to do is just be smart about your lifestyle. That's it. You know what I'm saying? So that's been my journey, man. That That's pretty much in a nutshell 
you know, my journey from being a young dude, you know, selling T-shirts and, and, and all of that other stuff in and, and Providence and then moving all the way to Philly to now being a husband, a father, a father of two beautiful daughters and, and running several businesses, you know, shop at lowlando.com, you dig? And being able to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And being able to help people, man. Like, understand, yo, I did not, I was not born with a, a spoon in my, a silver spoon in my mouth or none of that. Like, I was, I was the broke friend for, for years. Ask my friends, you know what I'm saying? They had to pay for dough for a lot of trips, for a lot of dinners and all of that. And they held me down. They, they didn't even make me feel broke. They held me down because they were real friends. And to this day, I still rock with them, you feel me? But, yeah, it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows for me, man. And then even today, I still have certain things now is a lot of it's not financial i'm not gonna lie but it's still th certain things in my life that I, I go through that have financial consequences and stuff like that too and i still gotta wake up every day and get to it so understand yo like this ain't this ain't something that's magical this ain't something that you gotta get out of a prestigious school yo i got a ged and i only went to college to get fast for checks b that's a that's a fact listen the rules is this is just a real, this is a real life go do. This is I'm not just real spill. I'm not lying. I went to college. My first, first ever introduction. My mom, her profession is financial aid. You know what I'm saying? So she's a fine. She was a financial aid, financial aid director for like a mad schools or whatever. I'm not gonna name the schools, of course. But um, she she taught me, you know, um, what financial aid was. You understand? And every time that I even thought about going to college, it was only because of financial aid. Like, you know, my whole life, this is what she did. So I was like, all right, now I'm finally 18. I got my GED. No, that's a lie. That's a lie, yeah, I'm lying. I didn't get my GED until I was like almost 20 years old. That's a fact. Like, I was like 19. Um, <laughs> so, um, boom, I go to um, a, a community college in North Carolina. I think it's Wake Forest Community College. And, um, I think my check was like $6,000. And the criteria was that you had to go to school for 30 days before you got your check. So I was like, oh, bet, right? I did this before. I did this in ninth grade. 30 days I could do, right? So I went, did my class. Yo, I have at Lance, when I tell you I had absolutely no ambition, I think my, my major was like communications or business administration or some shit like that. I had absolutely no ambition to get a degree at all. My only ambition was to get that $6,000. And that's exactly what I did. So. I did that every semester that I could. And I jumped from community college to community college doing it. You know what I'm saying? And that was my only college career. That was it. It's accumulating debt. And I, did, I only did it to like 13,000 because I wasn't about to go into like average American debt. Like I'm done. That's like that 30,000, 50,000, 100,000. There's some people in a million dollar debt. I am cool. I racked up like 13,000. And I, not even, I think I just act, racked up like, Twelve thousand, like another thousand in interest or whatever. But um, that was it, man. Like it, it wasn't like I would, you know, I come from a prestigious school of thought or nothing like this. I just, this is all just street knowledge with minimal book knowledge because I didn't like reading all the way up until adulthood. Like reading was a dub for me. I did not like it. You can, I'll listen to it. You could, li I'll listen to audio books or whatever. Like back in the day, if you remember in elementary school, they had the little tapes that you, you know, read along, listen to. Like I was, I was cool with that. After elementary school, like I did, I, you know, I, I did the reading or whatever. Middle school I read, but like once I got in high school, I didn't want to read nothing. So this is like, understand, like I'm not coming from no type of special background at all. And now you look at me today, man, like it, 
it's a blessing to be here, man, for real. But I mean, all it took was just it's a bunch of work. That's it. Just a bunch of focused work, concentrated work. Man, okay. Look, what what you just <clears throat> what you just talked about, it's gonna piss a lot of people off. A lot of the people you <laughs> talked to. No, I mean, because a lot of people, their greatest treasure is their excuses and their pain. And let, let me ask you something, man. This is your episode. This is about you, but I have a lot of things to say about what you said. And I wonder if you'd be cool if I went off a little bit in response to what you said, because. Yo, go, yo, get it off. This is, yo, I'm here, man. This is what we're here for, man. Get your balls cool. off, man. Look. Let me just start by saying that you're a black dude. I'm a white dude. There's a lot of differences between our culture and our history and all that shit. There's no getting around that fact. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, maybe what I'm going to say is going to make people on both sides angry, but I don't really care about that because the truth deserves it's opportunity to be spread. And so look, I'm going to give a little bit of my background because I don't have a typical background and I don't, I don't have the typical, let's say white suburban story. And maybe some of the points I'm going to make after I share this will be easier to digest. But look, my mom is a person who she comes from a family her parents were both famous. Her father was a famous radio DJ in Los Angeles. He introduced Bob Dylan to the world. He introduced a lot of uh, these people in the 60s and 70s who made a large cultural impact with folk music and with rock music and things like this. And the reason they lived in LA is because he was, um, he was part of the Jewish community out there and, and his father was a big, powerful, wealthy person in the Jewish community in New York City. And he was a golden gloves boxer and he beat a man to death in a bar fight and fled to avoid having to suffer the consequences of, of, of murdering somebody. And so he went to LA and my mother's mother was a member of the group called the rooftop singers. They had a song called walk right in, which is a big hit. And she was a very sad person and my grandfather was a very violent and abusive person and he took it out on my mother, he took it out on her mother. And when my mom was a teenager, her mom killed herself after trying a bunch of times and my mom walked in and found just a bloody mess in her house. And wow. she, she left that home and she got a job at a hotel and she, the manager of the hotel took advantage of her and she ended up marrying him because she had no place to go. And she's, she's one of those singers that when you hear them sing, it takes you out of the world and just into their voice because it's so powerful and pure and all that pain and all that emotion and all that shit that was left undealt with came out through her music and she tried to make it, but despite having the voice and despite being quite pretty and, and, and all these things, she couldn't leave the drugs. She couldn't leave the self-destruction. She just like, couldn't, she couldn't clean herself up. And in fact, 
she came to Utah for whatever reason and she met my dad. My dad knocked her up and she walked away from a record contract to to essentially have me. And that was after a bunch of abortions. That was after a bunch of miscarriages. You know, I did stand up for a while and one of the first jokes I made was uh, I'm a survivor because you know, my mom had a bunch of abortions before me and she tried to wipe me out with the three B's, which is booze, tobacco, and blow, but I'm a survivor, so I made it through. And that's the truth, man. You know, my mom did cocaine when she was pregnant with me. She drank the whole time. She smoked. And at a certain point, she was put on bed rest for the last couple of months of the pregnancy because she was told that she didn't just lay down and cut that shit out, that I was going to die. And to be frank, my dad, my dad's six foot six and made a muscle and is one of those people that he described it best. He said, when I was young, I'd just as soon fight you as look at you. And she knew that the consequences of essentially murdering me from a lack of self-control would not go well with a dude like that. And my dad is a very principled and loving person, but there's some violence in him and this, you know, so, so that's my mom's side and my dad's side. Look, I live in Utah. My dad's mom and my dad's dad, both pioneer families. They, they decided to sign up to this dude, Joseph Smith, who said, I have, I have this religion that I've made. And what I want you to do is pick up all your shit. You can put in a wagon and come with me and leave where you're at and head out here. They're crazy motherfuckers. Because, I mean, imagine doing that. Just like this dude says some stuff and I'm going to buy into it and I'm going to take everything I've ever worked for. I'm going to disassociate with all of the connections I've ever had and I'm just going to walk out west with all my stuff. And they came here and my mother, or my grandmother's father was an engineer and he started, there's a university out here, Brigham Young University. He started the engineering and drafting programs. Just a super genius, very antisocial. They had nine kids. She was the last of nine. And my grandfather was a farmer. His father was a farmer. And his father was a violent dude. The end of his life was a murder-suicide with his second wife. And all my dad and his brothers, they're all intense. They've all got a history of violence. And so, you know, I come from a place where I have crazy on one side and I have violent on the other and this weird combination of LA famous and, and, and Utah farmer stuff. It's, it's very unlikely that those combinations would have produced somebody like me and my parents divorced when I was young and my mom was never really able to be a mother to me. And I had some shit happen to me when I was a kid that, you know, kind of broke my trust and I'm on the autistic spectrum and stuff. So look, what I'm saying is that, when you're talking about the hard upbringing that you've had, I recognize that if we're going to look at the averages, a black dude in America versus a white dude in America, the black dude's got it way harder. But I understand that because my shit wasn't easy and I was way different and way weird compared to everybody around me. And that was made clear to me right from the beginning. And it's clear to me to this day. And, you know, so I had to deal with all of that. And this is not, this is not one of those things where it's like, I want you to feel bad for me. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. So look, you know, you talked about how there's all this, there's all this history that's sort of kept from 
from black people about who they really are and where they really come from. And they've been told this story that they're supposed to believe about, about oppression and about slavery and, and not to take away from any of that because of course it's actual, it's true. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, people in my shoes, white people, it's like, you know, we were told this story when I was a kid that, look, it was manifest destiny. This is just what had to happen. And, um, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing to be done for it. And now everything's cool because everybody's got every right that they wanted. And especially coming from a place like Utah, I mean, there's almost no black people here. There's a lot of Mexicans who do construction and everything, but you know, that's essentially it. And so it was very easy to buy into that story, but what you begin to realize and what she talked about is look, there's stories on the television, there's stories on the radio, there's stories on the internet, and those stories are crafted by people who don't give a fuck about you. And I don't mean to get too coarse, but sometimes that word is a word that needs to be used. These people who are putting out the news, I don't care if you're watching Fox News, I don't care if you're watching CNN, if you're watching the television, you're getting your news from there, those people are designing those stories to touch your emotions and to divide you and to get you angry and to get you upset and to get you sad and to make you feel a certain way because those are the ways that they make money. You're not going to watch a news program if it says everything's cool and there wasn't really anything bad that happened back to you. That's not what sells. That's not what brings in the dollars. That's not what advertisers are looking for when they're looking for a program to invest millions of dollars in to pump out their bullshit wrapped in fancy packages. And it's the same thing with the internet. There's all these different voices and there's all these different narratives and most of these voices and most of these narratives are designed to divide and to break people apart and to pit this race against that race or this ideology against that ideology or this political leaning against that political leaning and there's very little out there that's designed to unify and there's very little out there that's designed to enhance a person's ability to be who they're meant to be to harness the power that's inside of them to realize that they have everything that they ever needed and they always did to make their life exactly what they imagined that it could be and because of that we have things Black Lives Matter comes out. And what's the message? What's the message that it purports to put forward? That black people are not treated the same way by police, that black people are not treated the same way by figures of authority, and that this is a message that needs to get across. But what happens? It gets co-opted by the same people who have been trying to manipulate everybody into keeping them in their zones and keeping them fighted and fighting and keeping them divided so that they can continue to capitalize on the division, to continue to capitalize on the hurt and the pain that people feel and they guide them to the places where they can just extract energy they can extract value they can extract money and maintain the status quo they can maintain their positions of power and you know like i said i understand the difference between the average white guy in america and the average black guy in america but i don't come from that and that's why i talked to you before we started this podcast about identifying with the underdog who despite the odds despite the deck stacked against them they wake up to the fact that these stories that i'm being told aren't true these stories that i'm being told don't serve me these stories that i'm being told are designed to keep me apart from other people and to keep me in my spot in my lane in my zone apart from everybody else and what are the divisions and now we are in a place where, like you talked about too, everybody's pain, everybody's differences, everybody's 
problems, everybody's legacy of being treated unfairly is something that is paraded, that is celebrated, that is something that is brought to the fore. And there's no room made for the excellence, the defying of the odds. If you don't speak our language, if you don't celebrate the pain, if you don't, if you don't accept the fact that what we're celebrating and what we're talking about now is the stuff that doesn't actually move you forward, the stuff that doesn't actually build abundance mindset. It's, there's more and more division. There's more and more anger. There's more and more back and forth. And now brother is fighting against brother like the civil war. Now there's just, when you look at the news and when you look at the politics and when you look at the stories that are being pushed into the minds of people, in America and the world over, to be frank, what you see is the people who are telling these stories want nothing more than to push you apart from the next person because they have learned and have built an infrastructure on being able to make money and gain and keep power off the fact that you don't even know who you're supposed to be. You don't even know what's inside of you. You don't understand that you have all the power of a God inside of you to envision and manifest and create a life that is beautiful and powerful and to bring the special thing inside of you, the light that has been given to you into the world. And that that's the whole point of what you're supposed to do here. Instead, they distract you from that and they distract you from that and they take what is special about you and they crush it. And then they try to convince you that reality isn't real and that purpose isn't real and that meaning isn't real and that truth doesn't exist. And I kind of ranted on about this and I want to try to bring it back. That's to, real though. Nah, I was letting you go, man. Cause that, that's all that I was true balls, man. First and foremost, like the, the legacy that you were speaking on, like, of course, you know, that's, that's an incredible story, man. Like, you know, just coming from where you come from, man, like that, those are definitely extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, to see where it has built you today, man, that that's, that's incredible. Um, So definitely, just wanted to, you know, just salute you for that, man. Cause you know, other people with that type of background could have went so many different ways and it had nothing to do with, you know, uh, you, them being weak or anything like that, but you being strong enough to push past all of that, man. Like, you know, to be able to tell jokes and to be able to cope with that in that way, to use, you know, comedy as a coping mechanism, mechanism for, for your upbringing, you know, things of that nature. And, going into this, this the division yeah people don't like it like uh, people don't want to deal with the fact that in this day and age it would serve you more to first and foremost love yourself that way you can live your life according to the way you want to when you look at the people who are most or easily swayed by the media they have very deep self-esteem issues they have emotional problems that they try to cope with using the news that okay my you know self-esteem issues and uh public speaking or or wealth building or whatever it is is now uh being justified by what i'm seeing on the news you know uh one of the things that um was hugely effective uh, was how the media framed each and every cop shooting. So you had one in Walmart, then you had one at a library, then you had one 
or at a pool. Then you had a, another one at these places. So the intelligence, like uh, one of the things that you said, uh, as far as like using your skills and uh, uh, not being able to, you know, having the media impede on your ability to use your skills. Um, what happens is now some people actually use their skills to push this narrative forward. I'll give you an example. Like I said, all of those locations. So everybody understands that there is an art to Twitter. There is an art to tweeting. There is an art to getting tra traction on social media, period, but more specifically Twitter. When the media was listing all of these locations where all these people were uh, murdered by the police, creative writers took to Twitter and was like, uh, black while in Walmart, black while in the movie theater, uh, black while at the pool and lots of other stuff. So they created a narrative that you can't, that, you know, where, where can we be safe? That was the narrative. Like we can't, we get shot at Walmart, we get shot at the pool, we get shot. So imagine if you're a 13 year old reading this. Imagine if you're a 14 year old reading this. You're scared to death of Walmart. You're scared to death of going to the pool by yourself. You're scared to death that some white person or some evil person is gonna come take you away. And that was the narrative that people were being told. And what I saw was my community starting to, to really, really, you know, buy into it. And it turned into like self-realizing a lot of this stuff. Now you have people saying, oh, you know, if you see people, you know, anytime that you see somebody upload an interaction that they have with a white person, that's not the greatest. That that means it's Trump's America, racism is alive and well. And just to, to conf the confirmation bias that they need to be like, see, this is the reason why I'm in the position that I'm in. See, if it wasn't for this interaction that I had, my life would be so much better. And it happens on so many levels. It's not just race. They do this with money. They do this with health. They do this with ability. You know, now, now you, there's a thing you can, you can be an ableist. Now you can actually <laughs> just walking on, on your two feet is oppression to people who, who um, unfortunately, unfortunately can't just, just you know, now, uh, privilege is, is something that to, is something to be frowned upon. You know what I'm saying? And all of these things, the, these narratives are not even real. When you start talking to real people, you actually just have conversations with people. None of this stuff is real. The only people that really manifest this stuff are the, are the children of the factions, whether it be the schools, which we already know are disproportionately liberal, disproportionately in tune with corporations, disproportionately in tune with uh, uh, mass media and things of that nature, or people who are journalists and all of this, like it's the people who are gonna profit from the ideology. None of the people who are regular citizens in America are profiting from this stuff. None of these people are gaining any prosperity from all of these agendas and all of these narratives that's going on. When you're looking at the community and when you're looking at, uh, uh, if you just go to the black community, nobody hates white people. They just want a better life. Now we can get into the historical context of all of the race relations and all of that stuff. What, that happened, that happens. Let's not even, you know what I'm saying, fake the funk here. However, when you go to these communities, when you talk to the, 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 the family, what they want, they want better jobs. They want higher living conditions. They want a high quality of life. They want to get out of debt. They want to have their kids go to great schools. They want to be able to have their kids run outside and play without having to worry about being ran over by a car or shot down 
or and, and they want to have a good night's rest without having music blasting and all that other stuff. They want to also be able to blast music when it's appropriate. They want to be able to live just comfortably. There's a lot of like the the, the the major consensus amongst Black America is not to get revenge on a white man. It's just to be able to live a fulfilling life. And when you have people who have reached a level of prominence telling their constituents who are coming from lower income communities that they can't achieve those same things, it, it, that's what burns my biscuits more than anything. When you have hmm. Black American economics professors telling people that there's a racial wealth gap and that it's, it's because of this gap that they're not going to ever flourish. I don't give a damn about my wealth compared to the white Andrew Morton or whatever. You know what I'm saying? That don't matter to me. My job is to make sure my family is good. Can you teach me that? I don't. So because that's what happens. It's the same thing with the, 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 the white interaction on the cell phone camera. Oh, this is the reason why. This is the reason why I can't build wealth. It's a racial wealth. It's a racial wealth gap. That's the reason why. No, that is not the reason why. Because you will be first of all neglecting all of the poor white people, and then also neglecting all of the rich uh, black people. Then you'll also be negating all of the you know other um, minority groups, whether it be the Asians or the Jews or the, the Russians, because Russians are one percent of the American population. They got a one trillion dollar. Uh, um, buying power and, and that. So it's like, you, you can compare it to whatever. I'm, I'm not here to do that. My job is just to show y'all that every community has the ability to do it. And I'm not going to allow rich black people or rich people, period, tell poor people or middle-class people that they can't get to that level because it's not hard. It's not, I'm not gonna say it's not, uh, just not it's not gonna take work, but it's not impossible. It's not hard for you to get into, especially nowadays where you can download an investment app and automatically put $20 a week into an account. You understand? So it's like, I'm not going to allow that rhetoric and that narrative to, de to define my community while I'm alive. I'm going to do everything that I can not to just speak against it, because speaking against it doesn't do much. You need to work against it. You need to live against it. You need to have an example against it because what happens is they're going to go look at my life, look at the things that I've accomplished and be like, okay, that's what I can use as an example. But if I was just running off at the mouth, still broke and, and trying to argue with a professor and, and who has more, nah, then it wouldn't work. They would look at his works and say, oh, he's more valid than Doe. But no, I have assets. I have, you know, property. I have, you know, a loving wife and two children. I, I've gotten to the point to where I'm not worried about bills and all that other stuff. So, I'm not going to allow those narratives to affect me and my works, or I'm not going to let it affect the people that I want to help because there's some people that you're not going to be able to help, but I'm not going to make it easy for those people to demoralize my community at all. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the, that's the, that's just the job of the media. They had, they just released, I think you saw it too, uh, where they pretty much had like a paint by numbers on how the news gives it up. You feel me? Like, they show you like yo crime international news make sure that you, you know you put a heart strings here make sure that it connects with the audience here like it's paint by numbers all of that stuff is fake the tv that all of that is fake nothing on the television is real nothing zero things on the television is real b that's just what it is so when you are um working against that you pretty much have to understand that you got to work twice as hard to understand if you really want to make change in your community, you have to step away from all of the people who believe 
the news, who believe that some external faction is going to come help save everybody, who believe none of their uh, do's and don'ts in their lives had any effect on the, the life that they're living now, who believe that they don't need accountability, they don't need to change things in their lives. I don't, you need to separate from known people and then get with people who are accountable, who are building wealth, who are building health, who are adamant about making change. And then y'all collaborate. Once you guys collaborate and make that thing popular, those same people that would demoralize and discourage, they'll look at what you guys got going on and be like, oh, okay, maybe that wasn't some bullshit. Excuse my language. Maybe that wasn't, you know, something that I should have shunned. And that's what's happening now. It's happening slowly but surely. But people are starting to come back around because now they're seeing that all of this oppression talk for the past five years got us nothing. Now, all of this oppression talk, all of this, you know, white liberal allies and political and white conservative and all this other stuff got us to where we got a movie, LaQuisha coming out, and we got a whole bunch of nonsense. So now everybody who has any sense who's been through all of this five years and, and, and just saw the trend and how things went, they're like, okay. Maybe the, the whole tep stuff, it wasn't so crazy. You know, maybe they weren't talking out their ass. Maybe let's read, let's go back around, circle back and see what they was talking about. And now that's what we're seeing a lot more of. Like, yo, they weren't crazy. The stuff that they was talking about is manifesting every day. And shout out to the people who did listen. But the people who didn't, they're like, yo, damn, they did call this stuff. They did say that this agenda was real. And we laughed it off. We said it was you know, it's not an agenda. We, we said that, you know, you were crazy, ashy, hotep, all this other stuff. And now, got, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now we got, you know, uh, the, the abortion laws going crazy. We got LaQuisha going on. We got uh, demoralized people, you know, all over the place. We got so much nonsense going on that now it's like, yo, how about we just step back for a second and do something different? Let's see what all of the other, let's see what the people we was making fun of are doing now. You check up on Doe Dudes five years later, since, you know, Trayvon, since in, in, in Black Lives Matter and all that other stuff, you check in on him and see what he got going on. When he was angry and all of that, you see what he got going on. Oh, damn, he's actually, he's doing his thing. He got his businesses doing and all of this. And, and then you check on all of the people who was complaining, who was saying that they was oppressed and all that other stuff, and look what they manifested in their lives. Now, it's easy for you to lie about history. It's easy for you to be like, yo, in the 1960s, it was impossible for a black American at this time to do this, right? But now you don't have that. You don't have that same excuse because you saw it. You saw it live. You followed this person for this many years. You've seen them grow. You've seen them uh, rise to prominence. You've seen them do what they were supposed to do. You've seen them do what they said they were going to do. Same, likewise, the, the, the oppressed person. You, you see what they manifested in their lives. So 50 years from now, when somebody in that group says, oh, it was impossible, we couldn't build wealth, we couldn't do this and all of that, you could be like, no, 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 no. I remember, I was there. You could. You had the opportunity to do all of these things. And not only did you have the opportunity, you had people in your sphere, more than any other era in Black American history, that was disseminating this type of information. Now more than ever, ever, you can get real estate investing information for free on Twitter. The same issues of gentrification can be solved by free content on Twitter. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that type of stuff because they, they don't like the superficial 
you know, the money math that, you know, uh, Chris Johnson be doing all that stuff. I, I, I don't hate it, yo. I don't. Because I'd rather them talk about that type of stuff than talk about why they can't get it done. Yeah, we're not factoring taxes and all that other stuff in the money math. Okay, so what? But do you get the message, though, that you can get this property or you can get this side hustle going, earn this much money a month, buy the property up in your neighborhood, call the shots in your neighborhood, and then you'll be able to ascend to prominence. You'll be able to buy up more things and buy up and accumulate more assets. But that start, you have to start somewhere. So now that's where we're at. The tide and the paradigm is shifting back to the solution. You know, we, we're looking at people like my man, Maj Ture, who is running for city council at large in Philadelphia. Backing him 100%. We need more solutionaries in these positions of power. You understand? You know, the, uh, the, some of the black conservatives that I met when I went to DC for, when we went to the White House and all that other stuff, I'm still linking yeah. up with them. You know? <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's a lot of people that I've been able to connect with. There's a lot of people that I've been able to learn from you included, that now just, again, everybody has their confirmation bias. Now you can use your confirmation bias to, to you know, justify that you won't be able to make it. I use my confirmation bias to reassure myself that I'm no, I'm no, I'm going to make a billion dollars. Like the million dollars is already there. I already got that. I'm not worried about that. You understand? The 10 million, I'm not worried about that. The 100 million, I'm not worried about that. The billion, I'm, I'm not really worried about, but that's my focus. That's my focus because anything, anything less, I've seen it happen. One of my favorite rapper, you know what I'm saying, got to 900, 900 million. And if you add him and his wife, they're already over a billion. And he started his career when he was 26. He's 50, he's old, he'll be 50 this year. You see what I'm saying? So he took, it took half his life to get to a billion with his wife. How, why would I ever look at anything around me? Because he made that money in my lifetime. <laughs> Those who get that, that reference, holla at me. Anyway, he made that money in, in, my, in my lifetime. You see what I'm saying? Um, so why, how could I ever be discouraged or believe that I couldn't do it? First of all, I got 20 years on him. <laughs> I'm already, he's 20 years my senior. You understand? Um, I already understand about asset accumulation. I already understand about dollar cost average. I already understand about investing, delayed gratification. I already know about all of these things way ahead of him. So why wouldn't by the time I'm 50 be at 2 billion, 3 billion? You see what I'm saying? It only makes sense for me to surpass him. It only makes sense for me to keep going and make sure that when my son, my daughters are, are my age, when they're now they're 29 and they're 30, they are way past me at that age. So that's what this is all about. By the time my daughter will be my age, she will be invested her money for 11 years. She will have 11 years of it. Well, if you count, I've been investing for three years now. I'm 29. So she'll have eight years of investing on me, on her pops. That's not even counting the average American. because She's been investing because, you know, I've been investing for her on a custodial account since she was nine. Hell yeah. I mean, she, not since she was nine. That's, that's, I have two daughters, so the math is getting funky. But you understand what I'm saying. They have been be invested for that long, so by the time they're my age, they'll have assets and businesses and all that stuff under their name. They won't have to worry about anything. They don't have to worry about nothing now, but when they're on their own, doing their own thing, they won't have to, you know, uh, use their life circumstances to make bad decisions, like get with a bad dude, 
go to a shitty school, if they ever even go to school. I don't even encourage college in my house unless they're going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or something where you actually need the certification from the university to actually become that profession. If you want to be an entrepreneur, your father got that. Come to the school of Doe. That's just what the Doe University <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, they'll, um, they'll be good. They won't have to, you know, get with a dude because he got money. You understand? They don't have to settle for a shitty job because they need it right and they need the money right now. And that's the whole point to change the narrative, to change exact, to change the way that we have been living, to change the lifestyle that we've been accustomed to. All of these things have been happening around us for years. People were profiting off with market downturns and upturns for years all around us. Now it's time for us to get involved. Now it's time for us to do what we've been doing. What we've been doing in the economy. You can't sell anything in America in the retail market without putting some type of black American spice in it. I don't care if you're selling chips, music, a couch, a TV. You have to put some slang in it. You got to put some type of hip hop dance in it. You got to put some type of flavor in it to even sell it. That's how the American economy works. I have an entire thread in, and I can show you where Reese's Cups is using black slang and, and, and Bounty is like they had an entire soccer series, soccer mom series, where they were all using internet slang that came out of black America to sell Bounty uh, paper towels, fam. This is, the, this is the type of cultural and social power that we have that I'm showing that you can use on your own. Shout out to my man, um, Haha ha, uh, Henry Davis. You feel me? He copyright, uh, copyright, uh, copyrighted his and trademarked his his slogan. You know, the big fella and um, what was it? Not my memory, of course, is going to dub me right here. But um, it all finna be a breeze. This finna be a breeze. We, that's important because if you've noticed, you'll see these huge corporations use internet slang like i don't know if you i'll give you a perfect example like damn daniel or on fleek on fleek i'm sure has made millions upon millions of dollars and the the young lady who created it saw little chips of that this is that's all rooted in finding you need financial literacy had she had it she would because she did it on the fly this is something that they we do naturally we just create trends and and we just do that naturally that's what this that's this flavor that come out of us right so she comes out with on fleek just naturally. Had she had some a community of people, she wouldn't, she didn't even need to have the financial literacy. She's a she was a young, she's young, she looked like a teenager. Had she had a community of people like, yo, girl, that's a hit. You're going viral. We need to go straight to the patent office. We need to go straight to the trademark because it's about to be big bags for us. Because that's what happens with Paris Hilton. That's what happens with Donald Trump. That's what happens with damn Daniel. You understand? They started owning this stuff. Now they're getting T-Mobile deals. This is what you do. You have to start owning and controlling the stuff that you put out into the retail market. That's why I'm so hard, not even hard on, but that's why I'm so adamant about Black American dollars being um, properly disciplined and properly focused. This is not like a boycott on white businesses. This, <laughs> is, this is a redirection because if we're going to be honest, about the situation the relationship between black america and the retail market is we buy and we get a little bit back you feel me and i'm i'm not expecting now when i say a little bit back but understand i understand that there was an exchange they got we got goods back for it but i'm talking about as far as the, the actual practices or the actual flavor that we bring 
none of that was paid for. It was free. And due to the rules, like this was, it was free game. You could take it off, you could rip it over to Twitter and there's no laws against you using it. However, this is why, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm telling people because we need to make it to where we get, we get equity now. Like we giving you so much flavor. We talking about over a hundred years in, in the entertainment industry, you know, dating back to Duke Ellington and all that. Like, you know, you've been getting black entertainment bread for, for, for a century now, over a century. So when we looking at all of this, what would the American economy look like if black Americans didn't consume as much? What would the black, what would the American economy look like if black Americans invested more? What would the economy look like if black Americans owned more of their communities? These things are going to affect the entire country. And that's the reason why I don't stop talking about it, despite how many white followers I get or despite how many, uh, how diverse I am as far as my social circle, I'm always gonna go back to the black American dollar because that's important. It's very important, not just to black Americans, but to the entire economy. What happens when a large population that that is taking up a lot of the debt can become debt free in this debt economy that we have? You understand, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the actual, the micro and the macro um revelations of what happens when black americans become more financially literate because so many factions of america has profited have profited off of of black uh the lack of black financial literacy that's just what it is when you look at the again those mortgage companies and and and, and those um those people who took out those predatory predatory loans they caked off great their families they built wealth off of those the, those mistakes and those those bad financial decisions, the the credit card companies uh, that black people take onto the payday loans that black people the all of these things that are promoted to low income and black American communities, they are making money off of this stuff. They're making money off of the uh, bad black American financial choices. Your renaissance, your you know any you name it, anything that comes with a high interest payment, they are profiting off of the people who have the least financial literacy. So what happens is when, what happens when the, the people that they've been able to profit from for so long, hand over fist, become smarter, what happens? That's what I'm interested in. Because then, you know, a lot more, a lot more things will be revealed about the economy. A lot more things will be revealed because well, a simple stat right here, 3%, 3% of American advertisement goes to, to towards black people. Now, I already told you one point uh, black Americans watch and consume media 1.2 more times than any other community. And then when you factor in the fact that in a lot of categories, black Americans proportionately spend in these categories as opposed to these other groups in so many categories, a lot of them being cosmetics, healthcare, I mean, not healthcare, health and beauty, um, food, uh, convenience stores, you know, uh, high paint uh, debt, like I said, high interest payments, things of that nature. They they um, outspend any other group. So all of these groups are now. Oh, damn, I lost my train of thought. My fault. Um, so the consumption levels are paying for a lot of these other communities. So when you're looking at the people who are building businesses around that, I would love to see that change. I would love to see Black Americans become more financially literate, more uh, taking control uh, and ownership of their communities, more ownership of, of their financial services in the community that we're 
not lending uh, predatory loans out to each other because that's that's the best part about this whole thing that you have control over the people who get the loans you have control over the terms and conditions of the loan you have control over so many things that will safeguard you from financial ruin as opposed to dealing with people who are only out to profit off of your ignorance they're not going to tell you or, or even you know direct you to the best loans because they understand that they're going to make more money giving you this high interest loan they're going to make more money from you they're not worried about that now if you have people you know in your community who care about their residents who care about the the, the financial infrastructure of the residents they're gonna be like no 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 you can't afford that one we can give you this one and because of this we'll make sure that the interest payments don't you know supersede what you can afford there's things that you can do uh, as a community that you can't do when you're dealing with strangers, when you're dealing with people that don't trust you, that you don't trust, that are coming from, and it doesn't have to be a race thing. It just have to people have to be people who are genuinely interested in the financial empowerment of the people that they're dealing with. I'm not giving a loan out to anybody that can't afford it. Hmm. I don't care what it is. I'm just not. I don't even like debt. I had to, you know, I, I go into beefs with wealth builders about that because they they so adamant about that and i I'm, I'm turning around a little bit you know because i understand i'm gonna have to deal with that when it comes to like getting into more into my real estate bag and all that other stuff but i'm not a huge fan of it and it's because of the the debt that i've seen in my community the payday loans the renter centers the repossessions and all that other stuff of stuff that you don't even need to put payments on so that's the reason why i'm so adamant against that because my community is, is largely the most affected by debt in america you understand? So, you know, that I'm sorry, I just went on a whole rant about that. But yeah, man, like I'm 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 serious about that. Okay. You know, what you just said needs to be heard, not just by your community, but by a lot of communities. People people have been sold a bill of goods that doesn't match up with what they're getting. And I appreciate that. And look, man, we're uh this is the longest episode of Logo Centrifugal Podcast yet. <laughs> uh, and for good reason I, no i mean i mean that this like i told you before the show i was excited to have this because this is a lot of stuff that people need to hear and but look we've established that most of the stories we're being told on a day-to-day basis and have been told our whole lives are not true they're not real they pretend and they're the kind of pretend that ends up hurting people and dividing people and we've we've talked about the fact that there's a lot of reality to the fact that life is hard for certain people. Life is hard for people in the hood. Life is harder for the average black dude than the average white dude, or the average black people than the, than the average or family than the average white family, but that there's still plenty of poor white people. There's still plenty of poor everybody. And the reason that they're poor is because they've never been taught how to take control of their finances. They've never been taught how to make a wise financial decision. They've never been told that, in order to be wealthy, you have to learn to love yourself and you have to learn to value making good decisions. You have to learn to value the things that will add value and add happiness and add abundance to your life. And, and maybe, you know, people, people kind of hear these things, but maybe they don't get into the kind of depth that um, you've kind of guided us along on this, on this journey. But couple things right here and then I think we should wrap it up but number one is today seems like a pretty good day to stop being poor 
<laughs> and <laughs> that's a fact. I know you have something to say about that, and maybe you could say something about that and and let people know what you have to offer to them that will help them do that. And then maybe once you um, kind of lay that out, you could also, you know, we've been having a good talk and and we've had our communication, but people listen to this and, and maybe after you lay out the fact that there's a way to stop being poor and that you can help people walk that path, maybe what are the one or two things in addition to that that you would say to somebody if somebody was sitting across from you and they said doe look man you know i don't really know what to do i don't really know where to go because i've been told this story my whole life and i've woken up to the fact that it's not true i listened to what you just said but i don't know where to start and what would you tell those people i would tell them i would tell them i mean to cut you off Um, you're good i would tell them first and foremost i understand i understand it it's confusing sometimes. It's a little bit uh, overwhelming. And sometimes it's even discouraging. But take a breather. Breathe. I will always, I tell people always, all the time, the solution and the problem was born at the same time in the same place. The solution and the problem was born at the same time and at the same place. So where you're feeling like, yo, I'm, I'm financially insecure or I feel like I don't have enough or I feel like you know, it's just the bills are piling on. Slow down. Take, like I said, take inventory of what you're spending out, how much you're making. If you are making more than you spend, you need to make more money. If you are spending more than you make, you need to cut back on your expenses and <clears throat> make more money. <laughs> so that'll be the first two things. Increase income, decrease expenses. That'd be, if you know, if you don't know, if you don't have no idea what to do, take track your income, track your expenses. If your income outweighs your expenses, raise your income and decrease your expenses. If you are spending more money than you make, again, make more money and decrease your expenses. And of course, make more money uh, shouldn't be, you know, so simply, uh, simply stated, but yes, it is that. Uh, you can get a side gig. There's a literal gig app. Download it right now. Download gig. They have $5, $10, $25 gigs you can do from the comfort of uh, of your home. Uh, I used the gig app. I made over $500 in a month using it. What I did was they had uh, one gig where you could um, go up to your local family dollar, wherever, they, you know, they give you within a mile radius. You go there, take pictures of certain products. And you, you fill out a criteria or whatever, and they pay you right there on the spot, $5. Every, you do that 10 times a day, every day. You, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can do that. So increasing your income is not hard at all. Don't, don't overthink it. Think of something that you can provide people and charge, period. Then the next thing that you should do is buy Stop Being Poor, first and second edition. That's the next thing you should do. Because those two, those two books... First edition shows you the rudimentary, basic, bare level things that you need to be have, that you need to have. You know, like it has the gig app in there amongst other uh, in, uh, income based solutions in there that allow you to make more money. It also has a wealth building budget that allows you to budget all of your expenses with ease. It even has an over budget and under budget signal, an over budget, under budget and on budget uh, signal. 
uh, on there. So as soon as you type in the numbers, it automatically shows you if you're over or under budget. Uh, the first edition has a, a bunch of stuff that you can do right now, immediately, that'll increase your income and decrease your expenses. The second edition is uh, more investment-based. This is where you, um, you, of course, it teaches you how to make more money as well because I just have to put those gems in there, of course. But this one teaches you more about real estate, group investing, uh, income investing, where you're, in, you're investing uh, for monthly, quarterly, and annual income. Uh, asset protection, because now you have you now that you have assets, you need to be able to learn how to protect it. Uh, they they teach you. Uh, I teach you about precious metals. You need to get your gold and your silver. All of those things are now when you you know you hit into the second part of your your financial or your wealth building journey. So to stop being poor collection is what you need. And I'm going to officially announce this on the Global Centrifugal Podcast. The Stop Being Poor Financial Boot Camp is underway if you are that uh discouraged or not even discouraged if you want a personal customized financial plan for you and your household from those dubs i am doing the stop being poor financial boot camp it's it's all you will ever need i'm telling you it's it we're going to go over your expenses we're going to go over all of everything we're going to go over everything to make sure that you and your family or you by yourself is making as much money as possible, as, as investing as much as possible, with saving and investing, excuse me, saving the proper way, and then making sure that you're getting out of debt and making sure that you can get some more uh, appreciating assets under your belt. You are ready for that level to be able to have your own custom financial plan to stop being poor financial boot camp is available as well. All you have to do is just email me, DM me, um, <clears throat> of course, at Dodubes. So stop being poor package. That's what that, that's that's all you need. You need to, you know, what I said as far as income and expenses, and then get the stop being poor collection. Hell yeah, man. So just to kind of reiterate what you just said, no matter where you're at, spend less, make more. And if you want to learn how to manage your money, if you want to learn how to make more, if you want some resources that can get you going on that stop being poor stop being poor collection and if you feel like you're ready to really take it by the balls and you want to work with somebody who's got the experience who's got the receipts who's um, been from point a and gotten to point b and has talked about it all the way along stop being poor boot camp i like that man and what i really like too is that you have this thing and it's a product that you made and you worked hard on and it came from your experience and it came from your intelligence. And the whole point of you making this was to bring the tools necessary to somebody to be able to make their life something more than it is. And just to kind of maybe cut any criticism away from this, it costs money. And the reason it costs money is number one, because you worked your ass off to get where you're at. And number two, because you put in the time that could have been spent building more of your own wealth and your own life to put these tools down for other people to use. And that what, a price is a filter. 
Everybody's willing to buy Netflix. Everybody's willing to buy junk food. Everybody's willing to buy the things that make them feel good for a second and then end up costing them way more of their time and their energy and their money than they had ever anticipated. Stop being poor is not expensive, but it's a filter. It's a question. The question somebody answers when they buy your program is, am I willing to invest in myself? Am I willing to say, this is worth it to me because I understand that if I can get some financial discipline and I can understand how the game is played, that this price will never even be an issue for me in the future. It will have granted me the knowledge I needed to build a legacy, to build an empire, to build something great. And so if you have a criticism about somebody trying to help another person gain financial literacy, gain an understanding of how they can leverage their time and their assets to make something more, then you're missing the whole point. It's a filter and, and you didn't pass through it. You weren't the right shape to pass through the filter that's not even expensive. So I, I just wanted to drop that out there. And look, man, I really appreciate you coming on here and taking the time to do this. And, you know, maybe you were excited about it. I was excited about it too. And if people have listened to this, what they're going to understand is that it hasn't been easy in the sense that it didn't take effort. It didn't take intelligence. It didn't take good decision-making to get where you're at, but you're trying to cut all the mistakes and, and all the stuff that would be a roadblock to then being able to do what you've done out of the way and just give them everything that they need to know. And you've shared a lot of that here already. If people listen to this, and put into practice what you've shared, they would be further along than where they started. And so I just, again, I wanna, I just wanna express my gratitude for you coming on here, for you taking the time to do this and, and sharing your valuable time with my audience so that maybe they can further their goals and they can build their dreams into reality. And with that being said, um, I just- Thank you for having me, man. I yeah. really appreciate that, man. Like I said, at the top of the show, like, I, I believe I manifested this and I, I, I took full advantage of the opportunity. I had a great time. It was one of the best interviews that I've ever had. And um, I appreciate you even giving me the platform to even, you know, say all of these things, man, for sure. Well, you know, it's, it's my pleasure. We could, we could fight about that all you want, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is your show. I'm just the, I'm just the interested student. And, and that's how I really feel about this podcast is, um, Every time I have someone on here, you included, I'm just I'm just the person who gets to learn and then everybody else gets to benefit from you being smart and be me being curious. So look, all that being said, why don't you tell the people where they can find you on social media, where they can find Stop Being Poor, and and then if you want to say hello or shout out anybody or anything like that, why don't you do that after you let them know where they can find you and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, you you got yo man. Listen, I got a whole long list of shout outs, so you better get ready now. <laughs> now, um, yeah, man, those dudes on everything. And when I say everything, I'm literally only on Twitter. I, I I'm serious. I, I you can try to find my Instagram. You'll never find me posting on it. I'm not interested in Instagram. Um, but yo, Twitter, man, just follow me on Twitter. D O E D double O B S. No B S though. Um. <laughs> Stop being poor. You just go to gumroad.com slash dodubs. Again, D-O-E-D-O-O-B-S. Um, both Stop Being Poor first and second edition is up there. They're available right now. 
Uh, first edition is only $15. Um, so, you know, if you want to start there, I absolutely encourage you to do that. Uh, second edition is $40. I, I mean, excuse me, $30. I don't even, I don't trip over price. I don't even, like, when I, if you ever see me even talk about any of the goods that I put on the timeline, I never even bring up the price unless I'm actually dropping the price because when I, whatever I got it on there for sale for, I'm not, like, that's what I got it for sale for. That's what it is. I, Gucci sells $6,000 shoelaces. I, I don't ever worry about that, bro, at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, follow me. Um, I, I stir shit up every day on a, on an economic level. Uh, yes, I'm very proud to be a black American. I talk about it all of the time. Like that's that's what it is. But I also love everybody who loves me. Um, I love talking about money. I love talking about community. I love talking about, you know, all of the dope stuff. Please be funny too. Be have some personality. Don't follow me if you're corny. Don't follow me if you're easily offended. Don't follow me. Let me let me let me say all of that negative stuff. But just understand that I, I'm a universal dude. I'm full 360 out here. It's not just one thing that I like, but I do focus on certain things. So just rock with me. Get the books. Buy soap. Buy organic soap. And who else you gonna buy the organic soap from? Lola and Doe. Duh. LolaandDoe.com. Okay. The number one premier provider of organic and all natural personal care goods for the entire family. And now when I say the entire family, I mean men, women babies and even your pets we got pet shampoo there too if you are trying to elevate your a lifestyle and elevate yourself on a, on a more political level or you want to elevate yourself on a more economic level with a group of people who actually care about the liberation of themselves and their people get with hotep nation hotep nation is 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 the is the place to be we we have a great organization. We're doing amazing things. We actually are outside. We're not just a bunch of internet keyboard warriors. We do uh, we do speaking engagements. We actually do financial literacy programs in the community. We actually do the things that we tell people to do online. Um, so get with Hotep Nation. Shout out to Hotep Nation. Shout out to Uncle Hotep. Shout out to Hotep Jesus, my boy Ali. Shout out to Auntie's Block. Shout out to Lance. Shout out to Tanai. Shout out to <laughs> I'm playing. Um, but honestly, shout out to everybody who has been in my, my, my social circle these past few years. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you, Lance, for having me. I really appreciate just the, the ability to build wealth and build health with my community, with my friends, with my family. It, it's, it's been a dope journey. I want to have you. I want to have you on my show. You understand? And, and we're going to we're going to keep it rocking from there, man. Hell yeah, man. That's got to be the best that's got to be the best wrap up slash shout out that I've had on the show yet. And, and while we're at it, look, I've had tonight on my show. I've had Hotep Jesus on my show. Uncle Hotep's coming in June. So, uh, you know, hey. like, <laughs> I've got the whole crew on here. So, um, look, man, this has been a great time. I, I really, I loved having you on the show and anytime you want me on your show, man, I'd be happy to do that. You can count me in and look, with that, I had a great time. Let's let's call it good right here. Just know that if you ever want to come back on here, you got something to promote, you got something to say, you're welcome back on the Logo Centrifugal Podcast anytime. And with that, this has been the Logo Centrifugal Podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. He's Doe, and we're out. When I was schooling, me pupil Arter, he couldn't learn the magic so he kept me by his side 
Eventually, I decided I wanted to escape into crystals and spend eternity merely observing and pondering. But before I did that, I, Merlin, created a valuable resource for you to learn to unlock the hidden magical powers of your brain. Now, Arthur couldn't do it, but he was merely a peasant with a strong grip who could hold a fancy sword. And I scold him in the ways of kingly behavior, but I believe in you more than Arthur, and that's why I've made a book available to you to use to become like I am, a master wizard. Unlock the powers of your mind. Unlock your hidden genius. Become an uncommon genius wizard. Uncommon Mentality is the book you are looking for, and I left it for you along with this fancy message before I retreated to the crystals for eternity. If you'd like to secure a copy of a magical book that'll give you magical powers and enhance your brain until it grows out your ears and you look weird, go to gumroad.com forward slash L forward slash M-E-N-T-L. That's gumroad.com forward slash L forward slash mental for all your genius wizard brain magic needs.